What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Beyond Atheism podcast with me, Nathan Alexander, and my co-host, Todd Tavares. Moving beyond questions of God's existence, this podcast asks, what's next in a world without God? If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to like and subscribe, rate and review, and consider supporting us on Patreon. Today is a little unusual for Beyond Atheism. Normally, we like to focus on the positive gains made by the secular atheist community. But unfortunately, recent U.S. Supreme Court rulings cause us to take a slightly different approach and to examine what appears to be a big win for the religious right. Thankfully, we are joined by Rob Boston, Senior Advisor at Americans United for Separation of Church and State, to tell us more about the Americans United organization, as well as the Kennedy versus Bremerton School District ruling, and the road ahead for church-state politics. Rob has been with Americans United for more than 35 years, where he is also the editor of Church and State, AU's monthly membership magazine. He has written extensively on the religious right, with his most recent book on the subject being Taking Liberties, Why Religious Freedom Doesn't Give You the Right to Tell Other People What to Do. Rob, welcome to Beyond Atheism. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Rob, for coming on. Just to begin, usually we ask about sort of personal background. So how did you come to be involved with Americans United? And what was, so you, you, you were involved for over 30 years. So like, how did you get involved in the first place? And what was happening when you first uh, joined? Right. Yeah. I'd be happy to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, I was a journalism major in college back in the uh, 80s, graduated in 1985. And my uh, interest at that time was being a newspaper reporter, which I did for a little while. But I had an itch to um, leave central Pennsylvania, where I was born and raised, go down to Washington, D.C. and do some policy-oriented work. So I, uh, that's what I did. I uh, moved down to the D.C. area, got just kind of a routine editing job, keeping my eye open for something that would be more in line with what I wanted to do, which was policy. Now, I always had a, an interest in separation of church and state for two reasons. One is uh, the history that I've read. And I do enjoy reading history, pretty much shows conclusively that whenever religion and government are combined, freedom is crushed. It, it never is lifted up. So from, from history, you know, I, I was aware of that. You needed to keep those two institutions separate. The second reason was a more personal experience that I had as a kid where I attended a Catholic school for eight years. And we were forced to pray 
every day, like three times a day, like clockwork, you know, you just had to say these prayers. Now, you know, this is a private school. They could do that. But to me, I really just got turned off on the idea of spirituality being something you could just turn on and off like a light switch because a priest or a, or a nun was ordering you to have a religious experience. Uh, you know, it seemed to me that the only way that prayer or, or spiritual exercises could be meaningful is if you really wanted to take part, not, not if you were being forced. So uh, th those are a couple of reasons. And uh, I, um, uh, when I was hired at Americans United in 1987, I was the assistant editor of the magazine Church and State, which I did for 25 years. Then the, ed the editor retired, and then I became the editor. Uh, so it's been a real interesting experience for me and that I've been able to write and comment on just about all facets of, of church-state relations. And I've traveled and I give speeches and I've done television. It, it, it's been a fascinating experience. Unfortunately, uh, as we've noted here, we have had quite a downturn recently, though. Yeah. I, before we get to, to the current one, take us... Uh, take us back 35 years, and how has that changed? I mean, it, at the height of Reagan, it was seen as it was the moral majority. It's seen as evangelical Christians are, are are going to take over. What were they? What were the struggles then? And how were they? Um, how did they transform the political realm? Right. Yeah. Let me just step back a little bit, even earlier than Reagan, to kind of set the stage a little bit. That the 60s and 70s were a period where respect for separation of church and state at the Supreme Court really reached a high water mark. We had the, the school prayer decisions in 1962 and 1963 and uh, rulings in the 70s that struck down direct tax support to religious schools and, and so on. So you had this real strong support for separation during that period. Now, that did begin to erode during the 80s during the Reagan presidency. He, he and, and subsequently George H.W. Bush made appointments to the Supreme Court, put individuals on there who, who really didn't respect that principle. At the same time, you did have the rise of what scholars called the religious right, this very conservative social movement that had a number of goals. One was they, they wanted to oppose the growing LGBTQ rights movement. They, they wanted to overturn legal abortion, which of course they just did. They, they, they wanted to, um, censor books and material and used in public schools and make it harder for kids to learn certain things. They attacked evolution. Uh, and, and generally they were, they were hostile to, to public education entirely. And they were trying to shift as much money away from public schools as, as they could into the coffers of private religious academies. So you had this, I'm sorry, you had this very aggressive attack on separation of church and state by this political movement that had many facets. And that starts, so it started about 40 years ago. And by Reagan, there are, they're in the halls of power. Yes, yes, they, 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 they did have certainly a lot of success under Reagan. Remember Reagan was speaking to a conservative religious group, and I don't remember which one, but he said, I know you can't endorse me, you know, because the law doesn't allow religious groups to endorse candidates. He said, I know you can't endorse me, but I want you to know that I endorse you. So they had this champion in, in, in the White House for eight years, and that, that did have an effect, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask uh, about uh, Americans United, and it wouldn't be right, I, I, I guess, to call it like an atheist organization, because I imagine there's also potentially religious people who are involved as well, who are also interested in uh, preserving the separation of church and state. 
maybe can you just talk about what is the religious or or I guess yeah religious orientation if there is one of the organization yes that, that's a very interesting question because our history is what's well, unusual first of all we were founded Americans United was founded in 1947 so you're talking about an organization that's 75 years old and we were founded originally by Protestant Christian religious leaders so we had this religious founding yeah, absolutely. And, and if you go back and, you know, I have some archival material in the office. And if you go back and look at some of our early conferences from the late 40s and 50s, uh, they opened with prayers. People sang hymns. Uh, there were, you know, <laughs> ministers giving giving sermons. Now, yes. there were always non-Christians involved from the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There were there were Jews and there were secularists. Now, in the 19, late 1940s, it wasn't really socially acceptable to be like an atheist or a humanist. Uh, and even now it's, it's not easy in some parts of the country, but back then it was, it was just one of those things that, you know, if, if you had that perspective, you generally didn't go around blabbing about it. So right. yes. I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were secularists involved in the organization at that time, but they were quiet. Now over the years, the composition of the organization changed. And while, while we've always had religious membership, and in fact, uh, from, from 1992 until 2017, we were led by Barry Lynn, who was a United Church of Christ minister. So we, we've had this religious perspective, but there has been a great growth in, in the secularist wing as well. I mean, the whole idea behind Americans United was to, was like the name suggests, it's a bunch of Americans United, you bring everybody together to work on this issue of separation of church and state. So it doesn't matter if the person is a devout Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu, or if they're an atheist or a humanist or agnostic or a, Wiccan or a pagan, we don't care. Everybody gets together and supports the idea of separation of church and state. Uh, and, and I think that um, one of the things that distinguishes us from some of the the atheist groups or the humanist groups that work on this issue is that we do have a, a broad perspective. Now, I'm just to be clear, I'm not knocking any of those groups because I think they do great work and we're in partnership with them. But our our membership has always been a little bit broader. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's really important. I mean. Because, yeah, I mean, it's in many people's interest that uh, that the separation is maintained. Maybe, I mean, can you just maybe spell out like what is the or like well, well you mentioned that that uh, Protestants were in, were involved in the founding. What is the religious case, I guess, for for secularism? Right. You know, if you if you look at historically, say Baptists in America. <clears throat> now you wouldn't know this today if you look at the Southern Baptists, but historically. Baptists were strong defenders of separation of church and state because they believed that the government should have no say in how individuals worship, who they worshiped with, if they worship, how they interpreted God. Um, there, there were some Baptist leaders like in the 18th century or during the time of the founders, John Leland comes to mind, who just would, would say things about separation of church and state that just are remarkable to read today. John Leland, for example once said, the notion of an officially Christian commonwealth should be exploded forever. <laughs> and this, this is a Baptist minister. And he, he argued for just getting the government out of people's religious lives, believing, believing that it had created so much heartache and war and violence in Europe. And one, one thing that really shines through if, if you read this history uh, of the founding period and, and the founders' views 
many of the key founders like Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, George Washington, and others, they were keen students of, of history. Now, the European experience was not far removed from their time. Uh, they knew about the religious wars, the violence, the persecution, the inquisitions, how people were murdered. And, and things like that had happened in the American colonial period as well. So they were aware of that. And their view was that the only way to ensure human freedom was to just get the government out of the business of having a favorite religion and persecuting everybody who didn't agree with it. Mm. Mm. So they, I mean, their approach was more about it being hard. Well, is there part of an approach that says it's harmful to the religion? Or is it more? Yes, about ab protect, absolutely. Protect, no. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think uh, some of the early religious leaders who were very strong on the separation of church and state believed that that, that that protective barrier that, you know, what Jefferson called the wall of separation between church and state will protect their churches, will protect their religion. Now, remember, before the revolution and, and even after the revolution, depending on where you were in, in the United States or in the colonies, your rights could vary. Uh, if, you lived in, if you lived in Virginia, for example, and you were not a member of the Anglican Church, which was the established Church of Virginia, and you were not a member you had less rights than people who were members of that church. James Madison once wrote to a friend in Philadelphia with just righteous anger because Madison observed Baptist preachers in jail for no other reason than that they had preached their doctrines on the street in public. And that offended the Anglican establishment. They had these people arrested. They put them in jail. So you might not have your rights, you know, if you were a, a, uh, a Baptist in Virginia, if you were a Baptist in the Carolinas which again was Anglican establishment. Uh, if you were in New England, which the, the remnants of the old Puritan church, the Congregational Church was officially established, and you weren't a member of that, your 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 rights were not protected. You may have, maybe you had to pay taxes to support an established church that you didn't belong to and that you disagreed with. Uh, so you know th th this was not a a theoretical construct to founders. They were observing this. And they knew that the only way to stop this was to divide religion. Right. Because it was a lived experience. It's not It's not even history in, in those cases. That's, That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, these, these people can see what was happening. Uh, I, I mentioned that letter that Madison wrote. Uh, he wrote to a friend in Philadelphia because Pennsylvania had more religious liberty and a, a, a freer system there. And Madison expressed his desire to, you know, to breathe the free air of Philadelphia, you know, to have that sort of spirit of liberty come to Virginia. And you know what? He didn't just complain about it. He made it happen. As, as Madison, you know, pushed the Thomas Jefferson's famous Virginia statute for religious liberty through the assembly and made it into law. So he wasn't just, you know, carping about it in a letter. He, he took action against it. Yeah. And by making the Constitution the way it did to omit religion and not have that, it shows that they made a chase a choice to make America. That's that's right. Uh, James Madison is considered to be the father of the Constitution, and, and indeed he strong influence on that document and the Bill of Rights as well. He's a primary author of the First Amendment, and uh, the First Amendment you know does two things: it guarantees no establishment of religion and protects the free exercise of, of religion. Same same thing that the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom did in Virginia. So that 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 I. Experience of Virginia, Madison took that to the national stage, uh, and now you know. Just just to be clear here, none of this none of this was done to suppress religion or keep it down. It was done to make it 
possible for everybody to make their own decisions about religious matters without the state telling you, well, you're, you're a lesser citizen because you're a Baptist or you're an Anglican or you're a Quaker or you're a Catholic, whatever. Everybody was just going to be on an even keel. And, and you know, the results of that speak for themselves yeah. in this country. But those two rights, yeah, in the, the First Amendment, you have no establishment on the one hand, and you also have free expression. But sometimes they those come into tension, right? You can't have both at the same time necessarily. And that's what they argued in Br the Bremerton case. Is that correct? Yes, that is. Uh, they basically made a free speech and a religious freedom argument. And, and you're right. I mean, there can be occasions where those two tension, those two concepts come into tension. But generally speaking, I, I think if we just had some sensible ground rules, we could avoid that sort of thing. And we had those rules in place until recently. Now the Supreme Court's eroding them. So what were the yeah? What were the rules in the past, and what happened with Coach Kennedy? Can you give us background on that? Right. Yeah. Quickly? Exactly. Well, and 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 in the past, there was always special protection for public schools. You know, public schools are teaching kids from lots of different religious perspectives, as well as children who may have no particular religious background, and and they they they're just not supposed to be in the business of promoting religion. You know, the Supreme Court made that clear in the school prayer cases from the early 60s. And there were there were state cases and state courts before that, going back to the 19th century. I mean, making it very clear that the public school system is designed to impart secular instruction, not to push religion onto anybody. And the understanding had been that if you work in the public school system, if you're a teacher, a principal, an administrator, staff, or a coach, or whatever you might be, you don't get to promote your religion or, or persuade young people to come in and take part of it with you. So that was one of the sensible rules we have, but now the Supreme Court's breaking that down. Now, what's really frustrating about that Kennedy v. Bremerton case is that the court made that decision on the basis of basically a bunch of lies. <laughs> oh, okay. So in will, this, they, this case, the, the coach, what was the coach doing that, that started the problem? Yeah, after the football games, and these are high school football games, Bremerton, Washington, this coach would go down to the 50-yard line and he'd have this prayer right at the 50-yard line. And he was doing this in front of everybody. And the, the message being sent was that students should come and join him. Now, he, he would claim, no, that's not the case. I just wanted to pray privately. But the school tried to accommodate him if he wanted to pray privately. They had a space he could have gone to to pray. Or, or they would have allowed him to go to the 50-yard line you know, later after folks had gone. He wanted to do this in public and he wanted these students to come down with him. And the reason I said that the, the decision was based on lies was because the, the, the claim that he wanted to pray privately is undercut by photographs that show him <laughs> on the field surrounded yes. by like dozens of people, yes. students and yeah. from both teams and, 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 and bystanders and people who had attended the game coming down there onto the field. That's not a private prayer. Uh, you can see for your own eyes what's going on there. It's a big public display. Uh, so, you know, it used to be the court would balance the rights. They would say, yeah, you know, this gentleman, this coach should have the right to pray, but not in a way that's going to pressure or coerce any young people to join him because mm. that's not right. Yeah, because we know that there were there were other there were members of the team in uniform. So he's there as their coach. They're there as his team and they're kneeling around him and praying at the 50 yard line after the game. 
Right, and there's certainly, I'd say, at the very least, a subtle form of coercion, if not a more direct form of coercion. I mean, if you're a player on that team, you want to get out on the field. Uh, one way to do that is to get on coach's good side by making sure you're there for his prayers. And, and we did have instances where students did say, you know, our organization represented the school in this case. The school was, remember, the school was sued by the coach. Well, like under, by, the, he, under the old rules, what could they do about this? Could they fire him for? for well, for they could have fired him if he, if he, were, if he refused to, to um, listen to what they wanted him to do instead. Like I said, they were willing to accommodate him. They, they found space for him to pray privately in a truly private manner. Well, that wasn't good enough for him. He insisted on being at the 50-yard line. And, you know, aside from this just big public display of prayer that was coercing people to take part, there was just a health hazard. You know, you've got dozens of people running down on the right. field and, you know, <laughs> yes. people get knocked over and stuff. So th th there were safety concerns as well. And they basically said to him, look, you know, we'll make this space for you to pray. That wasn't good enough. So they did fire him. Uh, and, and he, and backed by this religious right legal group, sued the school. And unfortunately, given the climate of the Supreme Court now, he, he was able to, to win. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was just saying to Todd uh, before we started, just that I had read a little bit about the case, but not, I didn't know a ton about it. But I read the um, the majority decision and the dissent. And reading like the majority's decision, I thought like, oh, you know, it's, it's kind of they make a good a good case, really. And then I read the the dissent, and like <laughs> the majority opinion leaves out so much. Like they they portray him as just this humble guy trying to have a a private prayer and like. And then, uh, then you read the other side of it, and is you know he's like inviting or contacting the press, and like you know basically just sort of trying to uh, create a spectacle of this. And there's just like you know, like he said, like pandemonium on the field, and apparently even like some of the other coaches on the on the team. I guess um, there's such controversy around it, like they feared for their own safety. It's uh, a pretty uh, well, you know, crazy I'll, I'll say one yeah. thing about mm -hmm. the, the religious right legal groups that bring cases like this, and that is that they're, they're very good at stage managing everything and controlling the narrative and, and distorting what really happened. Now, you know, part of this was made possible simply because the Supreme Court has become radicalized. Uh, you know, and, and there was a time when a case like this never would have even reached the Supreme Court. You know, they would have, they wouldn't even wanted to hear something like this. So are you, wait, so are you, Rob, to buy into this deceitful narrative. Are you suggesting that this isn't an organic case where a man just wanted to pray and was fired by his boss and then had a personal struggle pushing it through the courts all the way to the Supreme Court? Like these, these things don't happen like that, right? It's not, it's not like a movie you're talking about this being stage managed who is sort of directing these legal legal attacks well there are a number of organizations out there that are religious right christian nationalist legal groups the one that brought this case was called first liberty but there's a bunch of others alliance defending freedom and liberty council and they always have these names that you know make them sound like they're <laughs> promoting freedom yes. and justice and, right. and, and fairness you know yeah. but of course that's the last thing they're trying to do they're they're, they're white they're white Christian nationalist supremacist organizations that are seeking to create privilege for conservative forms of Christianity and, and perpetuate that order and have that be, you know, supreme above every other faith or, or non-faith. And yeah, these things are definitely stage managed. I mean, they, they, you know, they go around looking for people to bring cases like this. And that's the reason why we're only going to see more of this. Uh, they're, they're, 
normal method is to just keep pushing and just keep chipping away. They've got a favorable court right now, and um, they're they're just going to keep going after these things, just like they did with abortion. You know that ruling, the Dobbs case, that was forty nine years of work on the part of these. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, yeah. Now, as much as I disagree with the outcome, I have to give them some credit for their tenacity. Yes. And I sometimes, sometimes wonder if our side mm. would have had the determination to stick with something like that for 49 years. I mean, they, they, would, they, would, they would get an anti-abortion law passed, it would be struck down, and the next day they'd be back with another, another bill. They just kept doing it until they got the result they wanted. So, as, again, as much as I despise what's happened, Maybe we could take a lesson from uh, from these. The organization is astounding to me. Like, like you said, like the dedication, but also like everything. Like you have grassroots groups organized with national groups, organized with with Congress critters, organized with groups that that pick judges or that suggest judges to the governing party to the uh, to the Republicans. I mean, like it's. It's such a vast, powerful network that's so singularly focused. It's incredible. Absolutely. Yes. And I'll tell you another thing about it. First of all, they've got a ton of money. They raise so much money. It, it runs into billions. I mean, literally, I'm not, really? I'm not exaggerating. It's a lot, lot of money. And yes. is, it, is it small donors or are there, is there a bit dark money? Um, it's some small donors, but, it's also, but there's also you know, money coming in from very well-heeled individuals who are interested in changing this country, maybe for other reasons. But uh, uh, we'll use social conservative issues to rile people up. But another thing that they do is they, they've got everything covered, as you mentioned. They've got a legal arm. So, they've, you know, they're pushing into courts. They have political arms that are you know, getting people elected. They have um, communications arms that are out there disseminating these messages and putting out this, you know, false narrative in all these cases. Uh, it, it's um, well-funded, well-organized, and unfortunately, they've been successful. Mm-hmm. What do you think is sort of the um, the consequence of the case? Like, what 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 what's going to happen now? Do you think we're going to be seeing teachers and and so on pushing religion in a more direct way uh, after this ruling? Unfortunately, I, I think we will. The, the The ruling leaves some things unanswered, and I'm trying to imagine if you know you're the sort of lawyer who advises a school district out there somewhere, uh, and they want to know well what. What, what can happen now? What's legal? What's not? It, it's difficult to give an honest answer for that because so much is left unanswered. And the real problem is there are parts of the country where people welcome this sort of thing. You know, they're in the Bible Belt or, or even not even in the Bible Belt. I mean, just smaller communities all over the country where they've been wanting to get more religion into schools. And when I say religion, I mean conservative yeah, Christians. Right, yes. So, they're going to embrace a ruling like this, and they're going to encourage staff members and teachers and others to um, push the envelope and promote religion in the classrooms and, and, and do things that they had, hadn't been allowed to do for like 60 years. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely going to be a problem. And also, too, as I mentioned earlier, these groups, they don't stop. They'll, they'll go after something else next. For instance, 1992, the Supreme Court struck down school-sponsored prayer at graduation ceremony. It's a case called Levy-Weissman. And that was a five to four decision. So it was a pretty close decision at the time. Well, I could see them going after that next and arguing, oh, you know, these prayers at a graduation ceremony, it's a tradition. Uh, you know, we've, we've had prayers at events for a long time. That's a big deal. It's only one type day. 
you know, and the court the way it's constituted right now might accept an argument. Yeah, yeah. In the um, in the, the the this this court ruling, they they send so, they say something about like you know hearing the or seeing the coach uh, praying is like that's just part of living in a pluralistic society that you have to accept that other people are going to exercise their religion. And I mean, yeah, like you say, like you, they could make the same argument uh, for a a prayer at graduation, like that. This is. Um, this is just well, someone exercising their, their belief, yeah. Exactly. They try to portray this as, as religious freedom, like it's something noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, you know, right. And right. in fact, it, it, this is coercive. It's, it's about control. It's compulsion. And it's, it's nothing to do with you know, the, the actual legitimate expression of, of, of religion, which, as I've said, the coach was given every opportunity if he truly felt that he wanted to pray after a game. And, you know, maybe he did. Uh, they were willing to accommodate that in a way that did not lead to anybody feeling coerced or pressured right. to take place. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I mean, like, I think the the court or the majority said, you know, that there was no evidence of coercion or like direct coercion or anything. But obviously, I mean, it's so easy to imagine, you know, from a student's perspective, how how this could be coercive. And I, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you go back and look at the original school prayer cases from the early '60s. Clearly, that was coercive. You know, there was the school sponsoring these prayers every day. But there were a lot of people who opposed it but didn't want to speak out. I mean, the people who did speak out got attacked. They got hate mail. They had death threats, um, all sorts of things. So we have no idea how many people in Bremerton might have felt that way but just didn't want to speak up because they knew that the result of of speaking up would be very negative. So that's why people – got to storm the field to show that you're a true believer and you're – Right. Yeah. And yeah. then you stand in together. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a theologian, but I do find it kind of ironic that if you if you read the New Testament, Jesus specifically teaches people to not pray in public right. and make a show of your prayers. Yes. yes. That's, he's, that's what hypocrites do. Right. He advises people to go into a closet and shut the door and pray to God there. And God, who, who sees in secret, will reward you. So, again, not a theologian, you know, uh, but... It seems to me that's a fairly clear command about how you're to behave when mm. it comes to prayer. Yeah, and I mean, there's also something about the way people pray, right? Like we, like as a Christian experience, we understand this fits Christian prayer, right? The what we see on TV and how we sort of understand it around us. But it would this would look very, very different if it were Muslim, right? With ablutions and praying to Mecca. Does their argument work at all with? another religion would a different religion have passed this case well certainly i think if this if this particular coach had been a muslim and he'd been engaging in that type of prayer at the 50-yard line he wouldn't have had the level of public support that he received i'm sure a lot of people trying to shut that down now um the folks on the other side of this they will dismiss arguments like that because they know that the majority of the time in most parts of the country it's going to be a christian prayer you know, but the interesting thing about this is that, as I'm sure both of you know, if you've been following the news lately, the, the religious demographics of the country really are starting to change in fairly significant ways. Uh, you know, the, 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 I was shocked to read recently that something like uh, almost 20% of people are now saying they're not sure about the existence of God or, you know, the, the, the number really has shot up. Now, that's, you know, still obviously a minority. but I remember in, within my lifetime, that number was like 96, 97. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. People saying they yeah. believe, yeah, very tiny percentage saying they doubted. And at the same time, as I'm, again, as I'm sure you know, church attendance rates, rates of house of worship attendance 
they've just been plummeting. Uh, and people are sort of engaging in this sort of do-it-yourself spirituality and so on. So I, I do think that there's an opening here for, for people to say, okay, I mean, if, if you insist that these, these public forums are going to exist and, and uh, you know, we're all going to be able to take advantage of them, then that does mean everybody, Christians, non-Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Wiccans, pagans, atheists, uh, do your thing. See what it's happens. a little trickier for us to, to pray in public. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. yeah, but, you know, there have been cases with um, the, the display of symbols, you know, sometimes it, it, during the holiday season, they'll let different groups put their symbols up on the town lawn. And atheist groups have taken part of that, not by displaying, obviously, you know, religious symbols, but symbols and signs that that uh, make statements about non-belief. And, and Freedom From Religion Foundation has done that. American Atheists have done that. Other groups, the Satanic Temple has done that. They brought those messages into public spaces. And it's a way of saying, okay, if you're talking about absolute true tolerance, that includes everybody, even people whose message you may dislike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to uh, to sort of broaden things a little bit, I mean, obviously, this particular case we've been talking about has come amidst a sort of a tidal wave of terrible mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Supreme Court yeah. decisions. Um, including um, uh, the overturning uh, Roe v. Wade. Public funding what? for religious schools in Maine. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess amidst all this like really terrible news, what do you think uh, is the law, like the outlook for the future? I mean, is this like what? What is the chances of sort of turning back this uh, this hold that the the right the religious right has over the judiciary? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat this. The next couple of years are going to be very challenging, and we're going to have a lot of work to do. And um, I think what we're going to need is, first of all, we need to be make it explicit how separation of church and state protects many of the rights we're talking about, uh, whether it's LGBTQ rights, reproductive freedom, the right to learn, the right to read, and, and so on. Those are all intimately connected with separation of church and state because it's generally very conservative Christian organizations that are attacking, you know, whatever right we may be talking about. So we need an application of separation of church and state to protect those rights. So we're going to be, I think, need to expand the base and make our make these um, other groups understand how important separation of church and state is to the work that they're doing. And um, we, are, I think, are going to, um, especially on the question of funding. You, know, you mentioned the school funding case out of Maine, where the court is basically saying that if you've got one of these plans that diverts public money into the coffers of private schools, you, you have to include religious schools. Well, the court hasn't said you have to have those plans. You don't have to have vouchers. You don't have to have laws that divert our public money into religious or private schools. Now, those are entrenched in many states, but we're going to get serious about supporting public education in this country, which educates 90% of our children. We need to get the funding back into the public arena. None of this is going to be easy. But one thing that I do think is interesting is that I've, I've alluded to this earlier, the changing demographics of the country, I think do provide, that does provide an opening for us because the Supreme Court is trying to take this country to a place I don't think most people yeah. want to go. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, especially at a time when we're seeing so much, you know, diversity and changing of the demographics. I mean, look at, look at the reaction to the overturning of Roe. It, it, it's been very powerful. So there, there's an opportunity there, but everybody has to understand, again, as I said earlier, long struggle, hunker down, and, and really get ready for 
the years, if not decades, that it could take to get this thing back. I'll say one more thing about this. Americans United is a nonpartisan organization, so we don't get involved in politics. But people do need to understand that you know, Supreme Court justices don't just fall out of the sky and land on the court. Right. Yes. You know, yes. There, there's a process. Mm-hmm. They're nominated by the president, and they're either confirmed or denied by the Senate. And the reason we're in this mess right now is Donald Trump put three reactionary justices on the Supreme so people need to think when they're voting for a president, they are, in a sense, voting for Supreme Court justices as well. Yeah. And, and they're there. Those justices are there for life. So it, it, it takes they a are. long time. Yes. And well, and that is something, too, maybe we should look at. I mean, we haven't taken an official stand on any of these things in Americans United, but there are proposals out there for term limits, for staggered terms, uh, even expanding the size of the court. Uh, you know, Th- th- those may seem like they're, they're quick fixes, but maybe they're things worth looking at. I mean, honestly, at a time like this, where we are, we're really dealing with uh, a crisis situation, I think we need to think big. Maybe we need to think about constitutional amendments. Maybe we need to think about some changes. Uh, but Rob, the, the, the flip side of that problem is that most people voted against Donald Trump, right? Like that's like, th- there's a limit to the voting. Like, and a lot of people wanted what he did, which is a scary, terrible thought, but that's, that's a true thing. Well, yes. And, and uh, as painful as that is, it would be a little easier to accept if, if you weren't aware that, in fact, he did not have majority support. Look, you know, we're, we're, we're not an organization that works on electoral reform or anything like that. But again, you know, maybe we need to look at some of these things, the way things are done. We have a system right now, it seems to me, that puts a lot of power in, in the hands of uh, small states, rural states, conservative states, non-diverse states. It, it, it's a system that, that uh, you know, again, uh, you're talking about something from the 18th century. The founders got a lot of things right, but that doesn't mean that, that things can't be changed. We have amended our constitution several yeah. times in the past. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, the, you, the point you mentioned earlier about just the changing demographics uh, and the growing, well, on the one hand, growing number of people who are non-religious, but also a growing diversity of religions, you know, growing numbers of, of peoples of non-Christian religions. Um, I guess the thing is the Republicans have, have been very savvy and kind of like going after things like the judiciary, which are somewhat, you know, removed from a strictly kind of majoritarian, major, majoritarian control, I guess. Um, uh, and so, I don't think we can, I guess just to say, like, we we can't just sort of rely on like, oh, the demographics are changing and things are going to be necessarily better. Like it will, like, like you said, like it's, it's will take um, organizing and things like this, um, which the, the religious or the right has been. Very, well, very good a- absolutely. At. And we, we need to address some issues that are not church state issues, like gerrymandering, like voter suppression. And that's not our fight, but that is something that we need to be aware of. And if there are ways we can, build bridges and, and work with organizations that are experts in that area and are working on that issue, I think we ought to do it because the purpose of things like gerrymandering and voter suppression is to keep certain types of people, to dilute their power and keep them down and, and to, to take away their voice. And the types of voices that they're trying to suppress generally are with voters that, that conservatives feel aren't going to go their way. So yeah, we absolutely need yeah. to be aware of that. The, what I'm worried about is now the other side, right? Like there are people who are voting for the governors 
who promised trigger laws on day one after Roe. When we think about people advocating for prayer in schools or and and you know prayer at a graduation, like what is it that they really want? Like to give us some context, we don't really we don't live in this world. We can read the headlines and and the the court rulings, but it doesn't give us a sense of what their actual end game is. Can you tell us anything like what they what they're really advocating here? Yes, yes, I've given us a lot of thought. That's a very good question uh, because I've been following these movements for more than three decades now, and you know I, I I've heard so many of their folks talk about this this mythical golden age of America that they believe existed, where basically white dudes ran everything. Now, that was a golden age for conservative white guys. It wasn't so great for women. It wasn't so great for minorities. It wasn't so great for members of the LGBTQ community. But, you know, that, that was the time in the 1950s and, and, and so on when that type of control was held and we were, you know, a more religious nation and all this sort of thing. I think what's really happened is that these folks have really been frightened by a succession of rights movements that rocked our society starting with the women's rights movement, and then, well, before that, racial justice, civil rights, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, and even non-believers demanding their rights. So you had the succession of rights movements. And whenever you have that type of experience happening in a fairly condensed period of time, which, you know, we're talking about the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, into the 90s, fairly compact, there's a backlash. And that's, I think, what a lot of Trumpism was about. It was a backlash. Oh, things have happened too fast. Things have gone too far. People were just demanding their rights to, we have to, we have to put brakes on this and, and all this sort of thing. And, um, that's, that's the classic demagogue knows how to exploit fears people have and, uh, tells people that, you know, rights to my mind, rights aren't a pie that is a finite size. Right, yes, yes. And just because one group has rights doesn't mean that they have to be taken from another. We, we can we can just, that pie can be really big and there can be enough for everybody. But that message sometimes is very hard for folks to get, especially when there is, you know, there's economic dislocation and there's other types of change occurring in society in ways that really make a lot of people feel like, um, you know, they're, they're not unsure of what their place in society is anymore. So, you know, you just had this sort of confluence of events that have really just um, a perfect storm of things. And unfortunately, it created waves of discontent that these social conservatives just, they just rode those mm -hmm. waves. Yeah. And can you talk about, well, just sort of to, to kind of draw things to a close, what is, yeah, what is America or what are, what is Americans United? Um, what is their role kind of in this fight against the, the religious rights uh uh, kind of rolling back yeah. of, of these, uh, of these, the, the uh, counter revolution. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Counter, yeah. counter revolution. Yeah. You know, you know, for a long time, you know, we had this plan. It was a game plan. It was solid. We were in the courts. We were meeting them in the courts. We, we had lobbyists to meet them on Capitol Hill and, and people getting out and state governments and meeting them there and so on. But, you know, that's, that's getting harder to do, especially in the courts because we know the courts are hostile. So we're going to have to retrench. And I think more and more of our resources in the future are, are, are going to have to go into things like a campaign to educate people about the basics. Why is separation of church and state important? I mean, that, it's a no-brainer to me and probably to you guys as well, but to a lot of people clearly aren't getting it. So we need to go back and really go back to some of the basics on that. Um, 
Rachel Lazar, who's our president and CEO right now, has been talking about a national recommitment to separation of church and state. And I, I think that's what we need. Now, what that looks like, how that's executed, how that's put forward, that, that will be worked out. But clearly, some people are missing some of the basic information there, and, and, and we need to make it clear to them, look, if you don't have this right, a lot of your other rights are falling with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, well, we just kind of touched on it a couple of times already, but it's it's about building bridges too with with um, with other groups. And I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is an atheist podcast, I guess, but but I mean, it is like it is so important. I think that um, that we reach out to religious groups as well, who who um, you know these rights are obviously you know critical to them as well, and they should uh, yeah be aware of that too. And I think working together with, with um, progressive religious people, I think would be really important. That is essential. That is essential. And I want to stress that because I think the work that the atheist and humanist groups have done in this area has been very important. But I want this coalition to support this national recommitment to separation of church and state to include religious and non-religious people, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Wiccans, pagans, whatever. The true diversity of America. And if we have that true diversity, I think that's a powerful demonstration to people because look at our opponents and they tend to be, they tend to be fundamentalist Christians. Now they got maybe a smattering of very conservative Jews and occasionally some, some very conservative people from non-Christian traditions. But generally speaking, it's fundamentalist Christians, not not representative of the country as a whole. We want a movement that is representative of the Yeah. And I mean, it, it benefits us all just conceptually, the concept of a separation of church and state. There's no way for it not to benefit everyone. It benefits the religious. It benefits the irreligious. It benefits the religion. It benefits the government. And it, it, this should work for everybody. So, Rob, if people want to get involved with this, uh, going the other way, they want to help AU, they want to add to your cause how can they what can they do how do they reach out right well the best thing to do is go to our website which is really simple it's au.org so au.org americans united yeah and there you can find different ways to get involved you can join become a member if you don't want to do that there's ways to get involved through social media there's you know ways to get sign up for alerts from us uh and so on uh you know we, we we try to offer a little of something for everybody. You know, I, I edit this magazine that we publish called Church and State, which comes out every month. Some people still like really, you know, the idea of getting a physical paper magazine every month, but other people would rather be involved on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. And, and we have all that too. So when you go to the site, au.org, you can see various ways to get involved. And it's really just whatever level you're at, we'll meet you there. And with that, I think well, we should move on to Can a True Atheist. Yes. Yeah, Nathan, can you explain the rules? But I always forget them. It's a little bit different. Usually we have something called kind of true atheist, uh, but we're going to do a sort of special edition uh, this this time, given the subject matter, and it's we're going to call it kind of true public official. So the point is to ask kind of questions, can a true public official do such and such? And Rob, um, you have to tell us whether a true public official can do certain things. I'm going to, so we'll, we'll have a couple uh, or a handful of questions and just a short yes or no and with, with um, a brief explanation. Yeah, you can say as much as you want. This doesn't really count for anything. It's tongue in cheek. It's just to get it going. Okay. Right, okay. Sounds good. All right. Can a true public official lead students 
in bowing to Mecca. No, a true public official cannot lead students in any kind of religious activity, whether it's Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, and they can't promote atheism either. They should be neutral on religious oh, matters. That's good to know. Yes, okay, yes. can a true public official grant a tax exemption to a religious group? Ooh. Well, now that's an interesting question. If it's only granted to religious organizations, I would say no, but because it would be preferential treatment to religion. But under our system, remember, tax exemption is granted to a whole array of organizations, religious and non-religious. So if you have a system that gives that form of aid, and it's considered a more indirect form of aid, to a wide range of groups, religious, environmental, social justice, literary societies, whatever it might be, then you're probably right. going to be okay. Wow, this is a really different version of this game. Yes. Normally, there's yeah. there's no right answer. Today, this is fantastic. There, there is a right answer. Yeah, we're yes. learning. <laughs> okay. Can a true public official end a speech with, and God bless America? Yes, a public official can end a speech with God bless America, which they constantly do in the United States. I don't really like it. I wish they would stop it. Uh, I don't hear people saying things like God bless Belgium. I don't know. Maybe they do that, but it doesn't seem like you hear a lot of that. Uh, but that sort of thing is usually seen as a, um, a private choice of the official giving the speech. And uh, certainly a lot, of, a lot of them from both parties do that. All right. Hmm. Well, can a true public official use public funds to send children to a school run by the Satanic Temple? Well, they shouldn't be allowed to, I would say. Uh, in my perfect world, there would be no government funding of religious schools at all, whether they be Christian, Jewish, Satanic, or whatever they might be. Uh, we would direct public funds only to public schools. However, the Supreme Court has upheld voucher plans, and under the voucher plans, the government isn't supposed to discriminate. So we do have cases where vouchers exist, where Muslim schools have participated and uh, other types of non-Christian schools and Jewish schools have participated. Now, not very many, but they have done it. So in theory, if the Satanic Temple got together and, and decided to open a private school and this was somewhere where voucher plans existed, they could, they could conceivably uh, take part wow. in that plan. Damn, they got to get on that. Can a true public official ask members of the public to join them in praying to the sun? I'd like to see that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be very interesting. Um, you know, again, that's kind of like in, uh, ending your, your, your speech with, with God bless America. Uh, I'm not crazy about it. I wish that politicians would dial back the God talk. I wish they would be respectful of the fact that we're very diverse when it comes to religion. Stop making assumptions that everybody's religious when growing numbers of people are not. But just as they could ask people to, to join in a prayer to Jesus Christ, I suppose they could also ask for uh, a prayer to the sun or to Zeus or to uh, some other deity that we don't often think of, but that people used to mm. worship. Okay, how about this one? Can a true public official wear a hijab to work? Yes, a public official can wear religious garb to work. Uh, and in fact, um, we, we see examples of that pretty commonly in, in government right now. Don't really have a problem with that. Uh, at, say, you know, a government meeting like Congress, state legislatures, that sort of thing. Now, I do think 
certain types of garb, you might be able to control it in a public school system if, if the, the garb were designed to send a proselytizing message or to coerce students to take part in religion. But something like a, you know, a cross, a fairly non-obtrusive piece of jewelry, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be it. Okay. And last but not least, can a true public official leave their copy of Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion in a conspicuous place on their desk? Yes, a public official can do that. And again, that, that's something I that's something I'd like to see. Just as they could leave a Bible there or a Koran, uh, they could leave a book by Richard Dawkins or uh, some other uh, humanist a- a- atheist thinker, and uh, that would certainly be. Um, this might spark some interesting discussions. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Speaking oh, of which, okay. this has been fantastic, yeah. Rob. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, and yeah, good luck with, to. Americans United. It's a great cause. And I hope, man, I hope people realize how united we should be on this issue. Um, anything else you'd like to plug, Rob? Actually, there is. Um, my colleague, Andrew Seidel, who some of you may know, he's to work for Freedom from Religion Foundation. He's now with Americans United. He wrote this really great book called The Founding Myth, Why Christian Nationalism is Un-American, which is just an incredible book. I recommend it. But he has a new book coming out soon, American Crusade, how the Supreme Court is weaponizing religious freedom. So really touches on a lot of the issues that we've been discussing. And um, that's due out really soon this fall. So I would recommend that folks get a copy of that because that's going to be a, let's just say it's going to be an arsenal. It's going to provide you with a lot of good arguments. Yeah, that sounds great. And we'll we'll include a link to that uh, down below. Yeah, thanks again, Rob. This was This was great. Okay, that was Rob Boston from Americans United for the separation of church and state. Todd, what did you? What were your some of your takeaways from that? We're fucked. That's it. <laughs> uh, that's the whole. Of it. No, I mean it's amazing that like he he can he's able to go back and document the swings. That's pretty awesome. That like there's that historical legacy. The history of it was really phenomenal. Especially the early stuff he came up with. I never heard about that, about like states having their own uh, established churches and what that meant to people. It's crazy stuff. It's omitted history. It's, and that's a huge deal for us. We're people who seek out this information, and it's stuff that I didn't know until now. The, uh, particularly like the, the founding of the Americans United. I mean, the fact that like it was not a um, non-religious organization. I mean, it was started by by Christians, I think was, was really fascinating. And I mean, instructive that, you know, secular issues shouldn't necessarily be the sole domain of atheists and, and other non-religious people. I mean, everyone's got a, um, got a stake in this. Right. How do you feel about like working with religionists in something like this? Like uniting think, together with, yeah. with them, Nathan? I think, I mean, I think that it makes a lot of sense. Because even though, you know, we said a couple of times, non-religious people in during the episode, like non-religious people are a growing percentage of the population, but still a minority. Um, the majority of the people are, are still religious uh, in some, some way. But I think that, I think, you know, that, that many of them would be allies because they would see that, you know, it's, it's like, there's a very particular majority kind of, or no, sorry, um, uh, a particular kind of, of religion like being pushed i mean like at a particular kind of like evangelicalism being pushed and i think you know many 
religious people would have a an interest in that not being um you know like even you know and in this particular case of uh the the high school football coach i mean if there's someone like who's muslim or something who's you know and, and like all the all the other classmates are are sort of um going to go to this coach praying in the in the middle of the field yeah. or something i mean obviously this is going to exclude them too right um so yeah. i think you know that uh i mean again like maybe even like I don't know, another like an atheist podcast. I mean, probably most of the people listening to it are are not religious, but um, but nonetheless, I think we should seek out allies among the religious people. Yeah, and I mean, it also in thinking about demographics again, like it throws into relief the fact that we're one of the largest. I mean, if you think about it this way, one of the largest religious groups. We're bigger than most. Yeah. Yes, non-majority yes. religions. Like yeah. it's just that's mm-hmm. a fact. non-religious are almost as big as Christian evangelicals. Maybe by the time this goes out, they are the same size. That's, that's a simple fact. And it, it makes sense for us to get under the same umbrella in this case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing or not, not funny. (laughs) I mean, like it's already like a case that the majority of people are sort of opposed to what the Supreme court's been up to. I mean, in the Roe v. Wade thing again, like, a fairly clear majority, I think, like supports um, super duper majority is, yes. is the technical term for it. It's right. eighty-five to ninety percent of Americans support some form of abortion. Mm. Is like it really abortion that high? with restriction? Yeah, it's that high because it includes it. Like that means like okay, uh, medical okay. necessity, right? Uh, rape okay, and incest. Okay. Talking about those right. cases, it goes. Uh, okay. It starts to go down, but even when you start to like do things like. Um, Abortion in the first 16 weeks, it's still incredibly high. It's, yeah, right. It's full yes. majority. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's a weird argument where everybody agrees. It's it's really strange. And then this super small minority gets to make the decisions for us. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. And that's really, I think, part of what, what we're, this is something I've kind of realized in the past couple, the past few weeks. But yeah, most of the time we're talking about this, the religious right. Like as atheists, when you're offended by religion, when you're upset about religion, when you're angry that they're getting some certain privilege, for the most part, it's this, it's the Christian, right? It's Christian nationalists. Like it's, it's this very particular strain that have very particular demands and, and expect to get them and are now getting them. Yeah. I, I sort of wonder in the early 2000s, we saw a similar sort of thing where under the like in the bush administration a really like a strong kind of evangelical power and then but we saw a huge reaction to that which which led to kind of uh the new atheist movement and really a lot of people becoming more outspokenly non-religious and if there's anything good that will come out of uh these these terrible rulings maybe i don't know maybe i wonder if we'll see another kind of upswing of people becoming becoming atheists becoming non-religious why wow, that's yeah. that's where we got to be nathan we've got to meet our people we got to go out in the streets yeah. that's where we get we got to go to these rallies we got to get out we got to do this stuff mm-hmm. not, not sit behind microphones not necessarily me and you in particular but like <laughs> <laughs> yes the, the sort of abstract we yeah oh yeah i see already already pawning it off on some <laughs> someone else nathan Yes. Fantastic. Well, That's yeah. why, and we wonder why this mo- movement doesn't right. grow. 
Yes. I mean, the, the other side, like what Rob was talking about, like, you know, they're focused yeah. for 49 years on this one singular yeah. goal. Right. And I mean, yeah. personally, I think it's a little bit of, um, of sort of outlawing pay phones to stop people from taking taxis. Oh, they're so clever, right? Like they just got rid of, they got rid of antiquated technology in some ways, right? The rulings don't match the current way things are done. With abortion, it's like most of them are done with pharmaceuticals. They're done at home. You get them over, get them online. It's mailed to your house. Don't need a doctor. Nobody has to know. That's the way it's been working now. That's that number is going to go up. People are going to find this stuff. And this is a way that like atheist engagement needs to be not just, yeah, like let's go friggin' show what's wrong with religion, but also like, how are we going to do things to make sure that, that they, they will never step on our throats again. And yeah. And I think, um, yeah, giving like, like practical assistance, uh, as well. Yeah. Um, is yeah. important too. Yeah. And I, Rob helped, really clarify for me a lot of like what we're up against, like where, where this is coming from. As he talked about, it's not just this, you know, these cases aren't accidental. It's yeah. not just one guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. Nathan, yeah. he's just one lone Christian up against these right. lions. What's exactly. he going to do? <laughs> yes. Right. So he's just going to yeah. do what a normal guy does, you know, goes to mm-hmm. the court and, and prays. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Argues with wide eyes and open heart. You know, and the power yeah, of the exactly, Lord. Exactly. Like, no, yeah. that's not at all what happened. It's yeah. it's what a billion dollars in in funding from right wing groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, it's it's not even about the prayer. I mean, it's really about like the politics. I mean, I was just so, thinking, like, power, right? the fact. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like of of like needing of him needing this to be a public spectacle and like contacting the press to make sure people saw it and and so on. Um, to get people riled up about it. He it's, went, this guy went a long way to get a lot of people to pay attention to him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's not even, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. Like, like we talked a little bit about it um, in the episode, like what, what actually do they want? I mean, it's not, they don't really care that much about this particular individual praying or not. I mean, like obviously he can pray if he wants to, I mean, nothing is stopping him. It's, yeah, it is about power, I guess, uh, at the base of it. Yeah. And it's not about everybody else. It's not about their, it's not about equality. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, about yeah. this particular type of mm-hmm. prayer. You mm-hmm. want to be able to do things in this particular way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, let's get, let's get in the time machine, go back to the 1950s where everything was perfect. Right. <laughs> Yes. Nostalgia yes. for an age that never existed. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's yeah. the funny the funny thing about I mean like the whole um make America great again, like, well when was it great? And then people <laughs> are like, Well, you yeah. know <laughs> the fifties, like yeah. wait a sec, like you know, when segregation was still around. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. well, um, yeah. uh-huh. uh, yeah. no, that apple pie just tasted so sweet. Uncomfortable questions, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I could pronounce the baseball players' names. Yeah, great. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and we know in the back of our heads, one of the things that happened, like when we think about the demographics, one of the things that we're thinking about, but maybe not saying, is like, look, 
this is going to die. People die, right? If it's if religion is really dense at this end of the age spectrum, that means in a few years it's going to be thin the whole way down. Yeah. Right. But when you start having laws like this, where you get people praying, pretending to pray, putting on a big show about praying, that the whole thing is to lock everybody in, and then it never yeah. goes away. Yeah, and to yeah to um to make it sort of like the oxygen, just that it just sort of exists, um, that it's just normal. It's the default. Yeah, that's the totality uh, of your life. It defines your being. So that's, I mean, and that's what we're up against. And that's why, that's what AU is doing. The American United for Separation of Church and State, which I see why they shorten it to AU. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, it's work that needs to be done and, you know, intersectionality. Yeah. Is thank, I'm yeah. just thankful that someone's doing it. Yeah, and I think the fact you know he he's been he's been uh, a part of the organization for over thirty years. I mean, obviously there were other bleak times too. I mean, I'm sure in the eighties, uh, it was also bleak. Um, but yeah, that's um, right, Nathan. You're right. You're absolutely right. Leave but, us on a message of hope. But yeah, what can you tell I mean, us? What are you gonna do for to? No, I mean to make this hopeful, <laughs> so we can end on a high note. We need it. We need a power yeah. cleanser. What have you got? I mean, I do agree with him that it's like, it's not going to, it's going to be a difficult few years. But I mean, I think. I'm going into a hole now, Nathan. (laughs) What are the the, the Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, God. (laughs) You know, this is the really (laughs) white people quoting uh, MLK. It's always awkward. But like the, uh, what is it? The arc of the. The art of history spends, tends towards justice. But yeah, which is paraphrasing um, an, an abolitionist from the 19th century, Theodore Parker, who uh, his 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 quote was uh, more sort of long winded, but Martin Luther King Jr. made it more succinct. And that's yeah. why he's the one who's quoted. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's why yeah. I remember. Him. Yeah, um, yeah. So on that uh, aw- uh, awkwardly, hopefully <laughs> optimistic uh, note, <laughs> I feel better. Yeah. You know what Shakespeare uh, said? Brevity is um, wit. Yeah. Brevity yeah. is um, something. Uh, brevity yeah. is wit. Nope. That's what it was. <laughs> Nothing else in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. So people should um, definitely check out our bonus section with Rob. It was really fascinating this time. Super enlightening. Um, we talked about some of his, the um, weird cases he's come across, some of his personal observations of the court when he's been there to observe it right Not scalia really this time we're learning so much about the supreme court from this what yeah they're, what they're actually like yeah yeah that's yeah. amazing yeah um yeah so please if you're interested in, in, in that subscribe to our patreon um and for those of you already subscribed lars debbie and the ahs plus blog uh thank you so much Big we really thoughts. appreciate it Yes, thank you. And thank everyone for listening. You're the reason we do this show, that and the absence of a divine deity. Um, if if you can't pitch us a few bucks, like uh, like and subscribe below. Um, hit us up anytime at NathGAlexander at the Twitters. And what else? There must be more people to thank. Nathan. Well, I guess we should thing? just close by just thanking Rob one more time. Yeah, Check out Americans United. Yeah, we got links below. Check out the books. And yeah, see you later. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.